everyone, Kareem Ray here, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Darren Van Tassel, who is the president and owner at Trementa FC. Darren, thank you for taking the time uh, for joining us today. How's it going? Kareem, I'm always honored when someone wants to obviously know about our club, but I appreciate the good work that journalists in our country are doing on the teams um, throughout the U.S. We've all had stories to tell. Thanks for taking the cover off of those and and um and letting us talk about them thanks for your work thank you um it's it's definitely been a journey and it's it's so cool and interesting to to learn about ownership and and club owners existing in the united states specifically you currently own a club um your co-founder as well as with your wife um so this is this is super cool this is the first the first one for me here on the one soccer nation podcast so um you know could you just share a little bit about that and also one of my favorite questions to usually ask my guests is, you know, just take us back in time and, how, and and share how you got involved in the beautiful game. It really does matter where you start to tell the story, doesn't it? Yeah, for um, sure. Some people want us to start with the day they were born. This story really goes back a couple of years. There's a few things that drove why is there pro soccer in Statesboro, Georgia? One, we really believed um, this city was, which is a great university sports town with Georgia Southern University was ready to be a professional sports town. Two, my wife and I had an existing small business that we started in 1998. Um, it was a golf range and then added miniature golf and some batty cages. And then it really grew into a really large uh, family entertainment center. Think Dave and Buster's, but about three times that size. But in some ways, why soccer and why now perhaps is the more interesting story for your viewers. Um, my background was in baseball. My wife was in was a swimmer. We were both collegiate athletes. Um, I coached in um, college circles for a long time. But every sport, everybody knows FIFA clearly, but every sport has its own international federation, Kareem. And I was the competition director and worked with the director of development for about 20-some years with the International Baseball Federation. A lot of folks don't realize that every sport has such a federation and they all hold world championships every year. FIFA is clearly the one that gets our mind in, in the football world. And every four years, those selected international sports federations come together, hold their world championships at the same place and at the same time. And that's what we've come to call the Olympics. So I'm a three-time Olympian in, in, in baseball. I was a head coach in the in the uh, 96 games in Atlanta for the Nicaraguan Olympic team, we played for the bronze medal. And then I was a technical director in the games in Athens. And then I ran the games as a competition director for the Federation in, in Beijing in 08. Lots of World Cups, a lot of intercontinental championships. Um, and along the way, it became very clear over those 20 plus years that soccer wasn't just the biggest sport in the world. That wasn't a hard thing to realize baseball is pretty big globally too but for me soccer was the biggest thing in the world um it was absolutely the most popular thing and forget just sports and and as we started to think about the the other piece that's sort of worthy for your listeners to know is is um i have a phd my background's in international affairs i i did a lot of teaching about sports and international relations i was um when, and when we talked about international development one of the things that I like to talk and research about was really the role of sport and international relations and specifically the role of what I called the four, four global languages in the world. And for me, that was food, music, art, and sport. Those identifiers, which are cultural in nature, 
are really the ways communi communities can identify themselves. And that's how you bring communities together. They cut across all those various borders that as humans, we sometimes separate ourselves from, and sometimes we don't celebrate those differences enough. Um, and even though they might be short-lived, um, those are wonderful ways, I think, to build communities. Those are four powerful things that folks can can get their head wrapped around. And when you're doing things well, those things really warm your soul at night. When you're not doing them well, they can burn your house down. Um, those four com uh, components, um, particularly on the sports side, I think. When it came time to grow our business to the next level, there are no such things as just starting your own professional baseball franchise. Major League Baseball has that locked down pretty well in this country. But the USL presented a really wonderful opportunity for us when when Nitra, who's my wife, we started looking at those opportunities in 2014 and 2015. Um, um, a franchise was available. We did a lot of painstaking work um, about the league. Um, the fact that we felt like it was a very strong, centralized organization, Kareem, is what attracted us to that league. I wanted something like that a strong federal system. I wasn't looking for something where the teams were stronger than the center. I wanted the center um, to hold. Um, I thought that was in growing the business would be really, really important. So we went through a marketing program. We came up with, uh, we wanted to pay homage to the international roots of, of the game. And so Tormenta, the Spanish word for storm is what we chose. Our uh, There was a youth academy that had some, that was called storm that my son played in. Um, and 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 a, and a team was born. We 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 built a crest around it. The animal that's inside of that crest, we're very proud, is an ibis, which is known for its bravery in the animal world, because it's the last animal to retreat from a storm, a tormenta, and it's the first animal to reappear when the storm passes. And so we live in college football crazy part of the United States. Which means if you're going to try pro soccer here, you better stay out in the rain a lot longer um, to get things done. And 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 lo and behold, we weren't just able to grow our our business with our footprint. Um, and we'll talk some about that, but we were able to provide another identifier for a community that was home. And for my wife and I, that that mattered a great deal. It was a sport that was handed to us by our youngest son. We didn't grow up um, playing soccer, but we we became parents of an elite academy player who would go on to play college soccer. He was smart enough to turn professional as a nurse, which uh, which was really fun to follow his career like that. And he and his older brother um, were, were, were really important parts of, of how this um, thing came about that we were doing. Um, started playing at the pre-professional level in 2016, turned pro that first USL League One season in 2019 and today we get to say that we are the defending champs in usl league one headed into the playoffs here and also won the uslw inaugural season as national champions and we have a, a thriving almost 3,000 uh families are in our academy here and and we're building building big things so we're we're, we're trying to be really good on the on the playing side and the development side and um, and we're building stadiums and, and and really an entertainment district around that. That's about as short as I know how to tell you how we got here in terms of where our story began, Kareem. For sure. It's, it's a lot of amazing work that you guys have been able uh, to accomplish and do for the community. Would you say that you were involved in the community even before um, putting together this professional soccer team asset in your community? 
Absolutely and without hesitation. Um, I, I grew up in a very service-oriented family. Um, you don't get to grow up in your hometown and not want to be a part of it. So there were plenty of volunteer places. But as a player and a coach growing up here um, and um, someone who returned and because the universities are, are so tend to be service oriented, those are very easy sort of transitions for me. Um, I was pretty well known in our community for lots of those things. And when we decided to turn pro and and create Tormenta, we, we had tons of goodwill that we could draw from, whether that was from the mayor or the athletic department um, at, at the university, whether that was from the key community figures, whether, quite frankly, it was, you know, people's in the governor's office at the state level, our, our, our city and our mayor and our county commissioners. We had to have all of those people and we still have um, those people and it needed to make sense to everybody what we were doing. And, um, and here we are. Um. So those relationship exi relationships existed before before this project came together. Um, you know how instrumental was that uh, to play a part, and how long once you started that conversation of hey, we want to bring a USO one franchise uh, to this community. How long was that conversation until it came to fruition? We we started speaking about it in earnest in about twenty late twenty fourteen. We announced it in the summer of twenty fifteen, and we were playing by the summer of 2016. Remember, we start off in what today we'd call League Two in the USL, so just a May, June, July season. And after having some really big successes there um, and deciding to turn professional, that would have been late 2017 we made that decision, get announced in 2018, and we're playing by by 2019. I think, I think the easiest thing to do is to field a team. Um, having coaches and winning is not easy at all. What's, what's difficult is coming to the conclusion that if you're going to be in the sports business, then you better not be in the business of sports. You better be in the business of memory making and experiences. And to do that, you've got to use food, music, and art. The sport part's already baked in. So we have to build stadiums. There's our art piece. We have to we have to create the right kind of an environment inside of our stadiums, whether it's as simple as just saying food. Um, music people respond to as well. So we have to, when we're building our stadiums, they have to be live, work, eat, place, entertainment-centered neighborhoods. Um, they have to, the real estate around it has to be as good as the stadium itself. And, and quite frankly, being involved in all three of those is the key to making these things work. So you can't do any of that if you don't have your city, your county, your board of education, your state officials, your, your community folks who you can't ask the community to be a part of you if you're not going to be a part of it. That's a cliche. And, and you don't do it just because it makes you feel good. You do it because it's in your self-interest if you're going to make this thing fly. Um and while soccer is absolutely the fastest growing sport, we could probably even argue in U.S. history. I just made that stat up, by the way, but I think that's not an unfair um, piece. We have this wonderful runway coming up with the World Cup here in just a few years. Um, you know, we really see ourselves, Kareem, not just as part of the local community. That's where our home is. But we really see ourselves as part of the global soccer landscape. 
um, where the what's happening in other leagues matters to us. It matters to our our players. Our fans are increasingly starting to understand those pieces and why we will be where our feet are and play right here. Our league is what matters to us most. I don't think there's any question that we see ourselves as part of that that global landscape. And I think most of us inside of the USL um, believe that as well. For sure. Um, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I still think soccer in the U.S. is, is pretty early. You got in 2014, mm -hmm. 2015, which is, which is great. I, I could imagine franchise fees at that time compared to now. Um, are, are are way higher than before sure. uh, and I've, I've heard back in like the 2000s um you know the question was will soccer survive now we're at a point where soccer is about to hit all-time highs with 2026 with saying that i'm asking you to pull out your magic ball here what do you see happening two years when 2026 comes around what do you see happening the effects happening in the u.s um and to your club as well. Let me back up and, and sort of plant the scene for a little bit. Let's think about where our sports fans are in the U.S. It, it's hard to argue there aren't. There's so many great places all over the world where sports is thriving. Here's where I think the U.S. is unique. Not that we're better sports fans than any place else, but there's a lot of wealth here. There's a lot of people here. It's the third largest um, by a population country in the world which says a lot. It's one of the, the larger geographic areas too. But let's think about where our, the, the, the major sports have come from in the United States. Baseball clearly has been around the furthest. I was a baseball guy. Where did I learn baseball? From my dad, from my grandparents. Um, played basketball growing up too. Love basketball. I'm just a fan of it now. Where did I learn basketball? From my parents who had it handed down from them. Um, played a little bit of, uh, of American football. Um, wasn't good enough to do that. Still a big fan. Where did that come from? From my parents, from people older than me. Soccer in this country is being handed up from people younger than me. That dynamic cannot be lost on this conversation. It was not handed to me down. It was handed to me by younger people. And so one of the real realities to recognize, and maybe this will sound like Dr. Van Tassel for just a second, is the sports landscape in the United States with regard to soccer starts at the private level, our academies, before it ever hits our schools. Now, that has some implications because let's remind ourselves, too, there's no other place in the world that plays sports at universities and high schools and middle schools like this country does. And it's an important fabric of where we are. Our best players who go on to play professional, professionally played in college and then they played in high school before that. And then they, they played for their middle schools and they played for their recreation departments. In this country, because soccer was at a much newer level in the pre-2000s, we'll just use the turn of the century, it really flourished first in the private sector. And then it would come to our our schools. I mean, here's a reminder, Kareem, when the World Cup was last held in the United States in 94, it wasn't in most high schools. It wasn't in most universities. Much less the MLS and the USL don't even exist. So that question you're asking, where where are we 
going to be in a, in a few years. Let's just remind ourselves where we've come from. Um, it wasn't that long ago when I was a full-time baseball guy. I barely knew what FC Barcelona was, right? And this was 2007, just to give you some, some sense of how much of that leap where, where I've had to make that transition from. And there's some funny stories about, about such things. So where do I think it's going to be? I don't think it's always going to be handed up from a younger generation, right? At some point, I'll become a grandparent or my son who handed it up to me. They'll become where water falls back down. So we have this generational moment in front of us. It's not going to always be in front of us because now it really is too big. The world's game is clearly also an American game. And most of the sports in our country, the big three that I just suggested, NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, they all originate in the United States. This is a sport that originates somewhere else. And so we're culturally playing a lot of catch up. That's good for the United States, by the way. U.S. Isn't, doesn't always celebrate those things it's playing, playing catch up on. So having said that, I think the exponential growth of this thing is so big, Kareem, it's hard to predict. It's not linear. It's doubling and quadrupling in size every year. And because of that speed and pace of change, it's hard to keep up. And, and what the one constant that we do know is that it's growing faster than, than most of the things that we're used to. And, and on the business side, that presents some unique challenges. Our players at the professional level are getting better faster than our officials are, for example. I, guess I saw the same thing when I was working with the International Baseball Federation. The baseball players in Europe were getting better much faster than the baseball umpires were in Europe. So those are some generational pieces to catch up. And our best officials are really, who are going to be our best soccer uh, officials in the United States, are probably 10, 12, and 14 right now. So that creates some challenges as we're moving along the way, because we are compressing our time so much in a shorter time frame than most of the rest of the world where, 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 where soccer and football have been being much bigger. Where do I think it will be? I think stadiums are, 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 are just about to begin to flourish even more. We're figuring out the business side of these things. Soccer is not unique in that regard, but where soccer is unique is because there aren't as many soccer-specific stadiums as there are specific baseball stadiums, for example, specific basketball arenas, specific American football arenas. But to be successful in those spaces, one of the trends that we are seeing is that teams aren't just leasing their spaces, but they're starting to own those stadiums. And then they're starting to try and own and control the real estate around it. Well, that's a lot of capital to do that. There's a lot of risk inherent in doing that. But in some ways, it may be for some markets, it's certainly our own, more stabilizing than not doing so. So where that where this, these these the capital comes from in tough economic times of higher interest rates, um, coming off of COVID timeframes in which that really did paralyze a lot of businesses to do some things with. I think those are our challenges. I think the growth is happening on the player side. I think the growth is absolutely happening on the fan side. Our job as owners is how do we take those moments 
turn our club to be the best that we can be and to take advantage of those? That is a simple question with an incredibly complex answer and response. How do we get there? Well, it involves a lot more media coverage like yourself. Thank Kareem. It involves a lot more fans who have got to move away from the, that soccer. You know, I'll pay for basketball, baseball, and American football, but soccer somehow seems to be more holistic. And let me just come and, and volunteer and be free. We can't, we can't take ourselves to these next level on professionally. We don't break some of that mindset. Those other sports don't suffer, by the way, from, from those things. But this sport is still young and new enough that those are growing pains um, to go through. Where do I see that we're going to be in, 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 you know, in 2026? Well, the world's going to be watching us. we got a lot of eyes who are going to see us for the first time. And I think how our leagues look, professional leagues building up to that time, um, I think we all have our own responsibilities as, as clubs. And, and, and listen, I, I think it's a big responsibility when we say that you know, we have responsibility for the, all of us that live in this entire country about what it looks like when people are going to peer in, um, our, our, but, it, but it falls on all of our shoulders. Us as owners, our leagues, our players, our coaches, our, our, our central offices and our leagues, our media and our fans. And, and we are going, um, you know, right now we're like those eight-year-olds trying to go be freshmen and sophomores in college. That's a tough assignment. And yet that's exactly what we're going to do. So we have to, we, we, we have to mature pretty quick um, to keep up with those trends. That's a long-winded response, Kareem. Yeah, no, that fully resonates with me where, where I'm currently at too. Um, okay, so um, you just mentioned, you know, the real estate component. Um, and obviously, you know, going back to 2014, um, launching a team in 2014 is a completely different time from launching a team now in 2023, mm. um, especially with the, the the way the world is right now, where it is economically. Um, you mentioned real estate stabilizing um, your project. Um, how has it stabilized it? And I'm, I'm pretty sure through my research, you guys just launched or built a 5,300-seated stadium, a new stadium? Yeah, we're in phase one of that. So right now, we're just under 3,000, and uh, we start the next phase of that here this offseason. By the time we're done, it'll seat 5,300 for soccer it'll be soccer specific um but it will also right behind the the net will be four stories of apartments and condominiums looking directly into the field we'll have another four story um indoor music entertainment venue that's a craft brewery restaurant so where the fourth floor balcony looks into the third floor stage and there are outdoor patios that look onto the field at every floor and then behind the team benches the benches are part of that the the seated seats and the fourth floor is the rooftop and there's 14 luxury boxes and underneath all of that is where our locker rooms are for both our men's and women's and academy teams our visiting teams as well as space for Georgia Southern University's division 1 men's and women's NCAA teams um i think one of the trends in sports there's anything i learned during my time in the olympics is we have to build stadia that um, are shared, have used for multiple purposes and used year round. It has to be a destination. People and this whole stadium will be surrounded by um, by retail, by housing, and then in the surrounding 
acreage, there'll be even more housing and more retail. So we've we built a lot of the retail already with grocery stores and Starbucks and Chick-fil-A's. Um, we've built new roads and intersections, um, bus stops for the university buses. That's the um, critical work to it, Kareem. It's kind of the non-sexy part of it all if you're in the soccer. It's sounding sexy to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, right now we have a wonderful playing surface. We we put a sub air system underneath there, um, which is really developed by uh, the Augusta National, which is only about 70 miles from Statesboro. So we really can't ever get rained out. It's a massive vacuum and um, pressurized system for the for the turf. It'll move 1,300 gallons of water a minute. Wow. Um, by the way, they put it under every World Cup field in Qatar also. And, and if we're going to do soccer in there, it means we also had to build a, a facility big enough for 14,000 concerts, uh, person concerts. Um, and so we'll have a permanent stage, much like FC Dallas at Toyota Stadium, where, where they built theirs. I thought that concept was brilliant. Our stadium will hold fewer people, but it's only 5,300. This is not a, we're not building 50,000 seat stadiums. One of my favorite parts about soccer and our fans is we let them get intimately close to the field, really close. Um, I don't want them far away. I want them right on top of it. And at 5,300, that's the right size which isn't a stretch to, to put all those folks in there. We've got to get rid of the construction site that we're in the middle of. It, you know, we, had to, we built a place to play in, um, to get it up and going, which takes a little bit longer when you also want to make it so that you can keep building things along the way. So the next uh, 18, 24 months, we'll get all that um, finished is where our, our heads are. And um, what a spot for it to be. I don't want to just for us to play in, in League One finals and USLW finals there. Um, we want to have collegiate finals there. I mean, it's a place where the NCAA should be able to play and have a Final Four. My pitch is if the College World Series can be in Omaha, then it needs a permanent place too, and, and we'll go after um, those things look like. There's a lot of other fine venues where it's currently you know, being played and has been played, so we'll have to make sure that we have some some good pieces, you know, for that. But it has to be a destination. Your real estate has to be a neighborhood. It has to be a place that people want to come and play. The math just doesn't work. Listen, the Atlanta Braves are a great example, Kareem. Um, they don't move out of downtown Atlanta because they didn't like the parking. The Braves move out of downtown Atlanta to the suburbs because they didn't own the stadium. And now the Braves not only own their stadium, they own the hotel. That's part of that. Um, place. They own what's called Battery Atlanta. They own all the residential places. They own all the retail places, um, the commercial places. And the Braves are quite open about it, that Battery Atlanta makes far more money than Braves ticket sales and sponsorships and concessions do. Well, we're in a much smaller market. So Battery Atlanta is not what we will be building here, but it, but it's just a different scale. Just because people are in smaller markets doesn't mean they don't they're less sophisticated. It just means you have to build things that meet what market demand could be. And at 5,300, we're well in touch with what that would be. We're also on the real estate where our existing business is that I was speaking at the beginning of the podcast, where the clubhouse is, our family entertainment center. And so that clearly benefits from it, um, where all of those retail places, I told you they've already been built and are, and are up and coming. 
we got those going and and now our job is to to complete the rest of the mixed use part of the of, of the stadium and um and and a whole bunch of additional housing it's a project that's very popular here it's popular in statesboro it's a project that's been on our um, local network affiliates in savannah whether it's abc cbs nbc and fox um, so it gets lots of attention um, our responsibility is to be good stewards we got one shot at getting this right we've got to make sure we get it right absolutely um in regards to location are you guys i'm going to load this question up are you guys downtown and then you guys are building a lot of real estate you mentioned building roads um are you guys partnered with the builder or do you guys do the real estate like how does that work you know there's so many different ways you can do that so i think we have our land uh, which has been part of our our you know in the in the in the partnership of our families since 1815 it's been there a long time um, 1815 1815 wow and, and so it's been cotton fields for a long time it's been farmland for a long time now we started developing that in 98 little by little and now we've pushed all those chips into the middle to to do so um, but we are directly across the street from the main entrance of georgia southern university um, there's almost 30,000 students there, and it's a university that's growing. It's my alma mater. It's my wife, Nitra's alma mater. Um, it is one of the reasons that makes this work is because of the location. Mm -hmm. And so while we're not downtown, downtown's only a couple of miles away. Um, we also have a business that's downtown. So that area is super important to us. But largely what we've done is to take this area across from the university which has been traditionally farmland and create a stadium centered live, work, eat, play entertainment district. It's a neighborhood and it's a neighborhood when we're done, that's over 200 acres in size. Um, and to do that takes lots of planning, um, planning to the level of, of exhaustion perhaps. But as I said, just a moment ago, we have to get this thing right and in order to get it right. We've got to to make sure that um, that it's going to work. Yeah. So huge project. How many people are you managing or working with closely? Yeah, all of them is the answer. Um, it's it's. Um, I retired as a as a as a professor uh, emeritus from Georgia Southern a little over five years ago, and so this is what my wife and I do. This is our job. We are. Um, we don't bring a lot of superpowers to this thing, Kareem, but we are present. We're present every day. When you include the players and our staff and our front office and coaches in our academy, um, Tormenta probably has some uh, 50 to 60 employees. If you had part-time folks, it's certainly higher than that. In our other existing business, there's probably another 70 um, folks that, that work on a part-time or full-time basis. Um, and as the rest of the stadium opens up, those numbers are only going to grow. It's a it's a massive responsibility to make sure that we create professional lives for those individuals who can grow and flourish. And just like our players, pros may start here for them too. And they, um, when they've exceeded, um, then there are other places for them to go in and play. And the same thing happens in our front office. While we've moved some 67 players on from the amateur level to play professionally, and lots of our first team players on the pro side have moved on, 
We've now have eight of our women who are now playing professionally abroad. But even in our front office, just in the last five months, we've moved five of them all on to the uh, MLS who are now working in front offices there. Um, those are proud moments, but they're also difficult um, moments because we have to we have to reload when it comes to that. But my wife and I were probably not probably we were teachers and professors before we became sports owners. And I think that that concept of teaching um, is uh, it, it certainly helps us understand um, you spend time with people and then they move on. Everybody we hire, I want them to be here forever, whether players or coaches, and that's our plan. But if it gets to a point where they have some other options um, and then we're going to help them um, exercise those and, and help them help them think through um, about what the best way to do it is. Um, just one last point, though. The real estate piece and the stadium piece, you know, you've got to, again, in our model, control the concessions, the parking, um, the programming that'll be done at the stadium. You know, we're owners, but, you know, at our league level and certainly here at Tormenta, we're, um, we're promoters. Um, we, we are the, the folks that are the hands-on um, people with the club and, um, you know, we don't we don't get to ride around in in our in our airplanes and only sit in our owners' boxes. Um, we're 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 where our feet are on the ground, and um, I don't know how else to do it. By the way, I'm certain there are lots of places to do it, but it's a this is a pretty working blue collar uh, program. For sure. Um, in regards to funding um, this project, uh, is it? If you don't mind me asking, is the city involved? Is there public funding? If you could share any information in regards to, to have you guys raised capital in regards to that? Yeah, it's a great question. So we put an ownership group together back in 2016, a lot of more close friends and um, couldn't have done it without those folks. And, and, and many of them are still um, directly involved. And they were just wonderful supporters of Nitra and myself. Um, Myself and, and, and Nitra and, and several of us are, are the more hands-on involved in the day-to-day -day operations. Um, we have the city and the county and the Board of Education helped us create a tax allocation district for this area. They're called TIFs in other states. In Georgia, they're called TADs. And here's what they do. You just draw a geographic line around the area. You don't raise taxes in that area for property owners. You don't lower taxes. You don't raise the community's taxes. You just bond against what the future tax base will be there. And then that money can be used to help build public infrastructure. So the city helped raise about a little over $5 million for that. We've contributed another um, a little over $5 million ourselves for the water, sewer, power, streets, intersections, widening of road, paving of roads. Tormenta Way gets developed and is built out of this so that the all of those things that we talked about earlier could come to life. So while the city hasn't put in any of their own funds, they were critically important for us in helping issue the bonds that helped us get that done and that so that we could pay it back from future sales tax revenues. Because it's a new development, we've been paying those um, revenues ourselves. Um, but this next year, there's enough things that have been built in there. And so um, just the, the property taxes will go towards that. And then when it's paid down, all of those go to the general fund that the city and the county and the board of education get to that. 
other than that, there's been no public dollars here. It's all been privately raised, um, which is harder to do. Um, but I think in the end, we'll be very pleased that that was the case. But because this is home, I think the city and our and our public spaces will get the benefit of being of using it and feeling like it's theirs without having to contribute those dollars. And that may be the one of the magic bullets um, that we get to employ, Nitra and I do, um, because it's our hometown. And and this is a legacy project on top of a, of a business deal. Yeah. The first time I ever heard about TIFF, um, Cortland McCullers mentioned it to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to do some Googling on bonds and stuff. I haven't heard it. You know, I just finished watching the big short of few times yeah. keep hearing about bonds i gotta do some google well that's right and there are lots of kinds of bonds we could i've probably become a bit of an expert on it all it's yeah. a wonderful solution for communities to not have to raise or lower taxes and not create a tax burden but to take an area that perhaps isn't generating much in terms of taxes but all those new property taxes can help pay it down so that when it is paid down all those new taxes then go straight to the tax base. So it's a fairly um, sophisticated way for communities um, to do some things. But all those funds can only go to public infrastructure, at least here in Georgia. So none of it went to developers. None of that money got to come to us. And it was a pretty open and public process. Um, so we were we were a very open book in terms of how those dollars were spent. For sure. I, I want to comment on the land um, that's been owned from uh, 1850, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, Correct. So it's it's been a few decades, a lot of decades uh, since you guys had the land. To see where it is now, how does it feel for you um, to see where well, it is? Well, it's fun for me. So one of our key partners it was in their family's land um, and their key minority partners, and they were able to, 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 to bring that land into our, our partnership. I can tell you this, I, I feel an incredible responsibility um, to the um, people that worked on that land, who owned that land, who were pushed off of that land. We can call about it lots of different ways in, in terms of what our legacy should be going, going forward. And we've, we, we have paid homage thus far to those families. We will continue um, to do it. And there are wonderful stories about, you know, what, what was, what was here. The, the, the one of the, the more in, intriguing ones is just the geography of it because i'm quite certain that this land was so far out of the city um at the time today it's in the heart of the city and um it really does speak to the the shoulders the proverbial shoulders of all the people that have come generations before us um who are responsible for anything that we're able to do today definitely um I couldn't imagine it. I, you know what? Let me run out put it, put that out there. What has the biggest challenge for you been in pro soccer ownership in the United States? What a great question. You know, it. I've learned the game. I've, I've learned a lot. And, and because I learned it as an adult, mm -hmm. um, I think it's been just wonderfully exciting. I'm a complete addict. Um, this game is so wonderful and painful. And it's in a, it happens in a flash. The challenges have not been understanding the game, however. I think the biggest challenges is understanding how 
listen, let's just cut to the chase. At the heart of this is people. We manage people. We pay people. We try to ask people to um, work, all work together for a cause and to, to be a part of where they are. It's one thing to ask people to move to Paris to play for a club. It's another thing to ask people to move to Statesboro in South Georgia to play for a club. So they've got to feel connected to it. But I think managing talent and, and managing the resources so that folks can not just exist, but thrive, those will always be the biggest challenges that we have. Um, we've got to make our clubs financially viable. That's hard to do without stadiums and real estate here. Now, there's plenty of places you can do that. The New York Yankees were successful forever and they never owned Yankee Stadium. I'm just offering examples. But that trend has been a bit different. And so that is a model that we've tried to use here. I, I think when you start a team first and then a stadium and then the real estate, that's a tough order. The math doesn't always work out in your favor. Teams tend to lose money. Stadiums don't lose money. Real estate certainly doesn't. Um, but it's hard to have the wherewithal to go real estate stadium team. Um, and a lot of public entities, a lot of cities have tried to do that, right? I, I've already said multiple times I'm a baseball person. So what did, what did Tampa and St. Pete do in Florida? They built the stadium first and then went and found a team that would become the Tampa Rays. Um, Having that kind of long-term vision is hard, hard to do um, because the juice at soccer is really at the individual and local levels. Um, and we, we're really asking our communities and, and, and state and, you know, governmental levels to come alongside and, and to join us. And historically it's been a lot easier to do that in football, basketball, and baseball. Soccer is moving in that direction. Um, and thankfully we live in a stadium and a city that, because I was a fairly well-known public figure, we could get a lot of mileage about people listening to second and third conversations. So it, it always had to make sense for folks along the way. The, the toughest part of this job will always be making sure that the people you work with, not the people that work for us, nobody works for us. The people we work with um, are satisfied, want to be here, and and want to be back here year in and year out, whether the front office players or coaches, whether it's any of the other businesses that we do. But it's also responsibility people live in this part of the state and this part of the country. I feel an enormous responsibility of that. Those are the things that keep us up late at night. And if I can offer just any piece of advice, and you're thinking about it some, I think it's much less about being optimistic and it's much more about being defiant. Um, chase it. Keep going, don't stop. And when the roadblocks are there, we're going to have to find a place around it, mainly because you can't go backwards. And if you're just dipping your toe into this thing, then you can go backwards. Mm. We didn't dip our toe in. And, and, and so being mercilessly defiant in terms of finding solutions, that's the hardest part. Mm. Wow, so many great points. Um, how many people have you, what's the most amount of people that you manage number wise? And what advice would you give to me and the viewers um, in regards to managing people? Yeah, it's just be present. It's the first thing. 
if you don't know the people you work with, this is a tough, it's tough. I think um, being available, being present. Um, remember, people are like players and coaches and fans when it comes to work. They want to work because not because of a location they're in. Yes, we have to be compensated in a way that makes sense. But even in the workplace, we're seeking, we want to be relevant. We want experiences that make us relevant um, so that our memories are the memories that we get to be thrilled by. Mm -hmm. Sports does that in a very unique way because it lets us have memories that where we keep score for but winning is also some of the least important things that we get to do because you can't win enough in this sport. Because as soon as you go undefeated and get it, get the trophy, you've got to do it again. And that, by the way, that's its own fun adventure. But it can't be the only thing that you're being asked of. It just can't be. It won't sustain itself. The biggest piece of advice, be present, be, make sure that you're relevant and make sure you're letting people work and also be be relevant. If all we're making sure is that, you know, compensation comes in lots of different forms. We have to eat, live indoors, and pay bills. Um, but being cognizant of that and moving along with it is hard. Listen, COVID and inflation of the last six years has made that a tough moving target for us as we're leaders with people who need to be compensated. Wages are skyrocketing after a time where we couldn't interact with one another for two years. Well, if that's not a formula, we have no practice at. Um, and 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 so I, I just think widening the circle to let people be part of the decision-making process is just smart. I think it's good business. But being a leader all of a sudden doesn't mean we yell and demand, because that's just yelling and demanding. Um, I and I think I think the profession of teaching and um, offers us as much insight to being a leader as it. Of, of business group as it does to be in a coach. Um, and, and I think, so, I think it really is true. Some of those things that, that, that teachers at kindergartners and, and fifth graders can, can go a long way in terms of uh, uh, informing us to how, how are we part of something that, that we want to uh, proudly wear on our shirts. Great points. Thank you for that. Um, I want to be respectful, of, respectful of your time coming up on um, just maybe the last two questions. Um, last year, 2022, Tremendous FC was crowned the 2022 USL League mm -hmm. One champions. What has that done for the club? Well, I got the cold chills. These went all the way to my knees, just so you'll know when you said that out loud. Yeah. I don't think we wrote that fairy tale in our minds. We loved the pursuit of it. But when it happened, when it happened in two teams in the same year, I am, um, I I am. Um, not just certain. I, I I know it's the case. It's never happened in U.S. soccer history, where a club won both male and female titles in the same year, um, and 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 we did it pretty, pretty for, for two pretty new leagues, of course. Too well, you you get to live with that forever. They put the star above your crest, and it never goes away. Um, I love. I think this year on both the men and the women's side. We loved um, having that target. It's fun. It's fun to keep score and, and to play games of, that are of consequence and having jeopardy associated with them. Um, 
we're fighting for our playoff lives on the first team on the men's side this weekend. We got to win just to squeak into the playoffs um, because our leagues are getting so much better um, with time. And, and I think that's one of the great stories about the growth of soccer um, on the players side, but it's meant to everything. You know, there are seven um, um, highways or main thoroughfares that come into the city limits of the city of Statesboro. Every one of them, you'll see that classic green colored transportation DOT sign that says, welcome to Statesboro, home of Tormenta FC. 2022 USLW champions, 2022 USL League One champions. That's on the sign. Everybody gets to see it. When you ask what does it mean, it, it means as much to the, the people that never wore the uniform as, as it does for those of us that, you know, work in underneath that umbrella. Wow. Incredible. Um, last question before the fun questions. How do you feel about Messi being in the United States playing for Inter Miami FC? Is there a downside to Messi playing in this country? I can't imagine what it be, would be, but it exposed, it exposed just how deep the soccer culture is here. It exposed just how deep our fandom is. And you can measure this in so many ways. One, Messi chose us. Two, nobody does escalating ticket prices like those sports fans in the United States do. And yet we still buy them. That, that, that impact. Um, but it also was what a legitimizer it is for the American soccer landscape. Um, we've had many before. This is our latest. Getting the World Cup was certainly one. Um, our our professional leagues growing is certainly one. Um, but it's just a legitimizer for all of us, fans, front office, and owners, that this stuff matters. And, and guess what? If Messi's here, then we also all, all are part of that global soccer landscape. So because we play in the Open Cup and because geographically those first couple rounds um, involve us and Inter-Miami, remember it was last year we make it we make it to the fourth round of the Open Cup. We lose to Inter-Miami in a very close battle in Fort Lauderdale, which means it's just a couple of draws where Tormenta could be going head-to-head -head and playing against Messi on the same field. And can you imagine if we were lucky enough to win the home field, which is just a 50-50 draw? Yeah, that's how important. That's how important it is because it lets us talk about in podcasts what, what you know, the possibilities of things that just seem completely fairy tale-ish, um, but all of a sudden now now could be could, could really happen. Definitely could be a reality in the U.S. Open Cup too, right? Um... We're at the end here. I have uh, some speed fun questions. I would Let's ask. Let's do it. I'll you. try to be fast. Super fast, Darren. Um, all right. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite MLS team? Well, Atlanta United is close. So if I keep up with any of them, we were there. I went to the final when when Atlanta United won the whole thing. But you know, now that we're playing pro soccer and our academies play against Atlanta United, Tormenta FC plays against Atlanta United. Um, we play against them in open cup and, and preseason sorts of things. So while they're my favorite MLS team, they're really, they're really much more of the, of the competition too, but what respect they've provided for us 
um, along along the way too. And I can't say uh, enough things about the mutual respect that exists between our organizations. Um, do you? What's your favorite type of music to listen to? Oh, that's really good. You know, the older I get, my my children already think I'm musically illiterate. So when they listen to this podcast, they're gonna smile and laugh. But I I really like um I like a lot of coffee shop jazz. You want to know it's true, but but I love anything too. I'll listen to uh Taylor Swift on her good days, give me a lot of classic rock, um, country music. Um, I like a lot of Drake stuff too. So Drake, you I just like good stuff. I just like good stuff. When it's playing in the locker room, I have to absorb what's there. Okay, okay. Drake, Drake's from Toronto, so you're representing us right now. Um, what about favorite food? Mm, that's a good one. I do enjoy. I I do enjoy food. Chicken cooked ninety nine different ways seems like the easiest out, but man, chicken cordon bleu or eggs Benedict, those are probably. I'm still a maple syrup pancakes guy um, as well. Um, what about, what's your favorite activity? I'm a golfer. I like playing golf as an adult. It's the only sport I can keep playing at my age. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that old. I just had a, a birthday. So, um, you know, we're, we're in that, we're in our mid to late fifties now, the bald guys, we can look younger maybe than, than we are, but I really like playing golf. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. I love watching uh, baseball games. But the thing I get excited for is watching any Tormenta FC event. That's probably my biggest pastime. Well, happy belated. And so you're in the second quarter of life right now. You're in your prime. Uh, it feels like it. And the last one, Messi or Ronaldo? Oh, it's got to be Messi for me. Yeah. That's not hard. Well, Darren, before we go, oh, was there anything that I missed that, you know, that I didn't ask that you'd like to add in? No, but thanks for visiting with me. You, you, your podcast, Dream, when I've, you know, watched them in the past, getting ready for today, uh, you're very conversational. You're, you, you know, you, you, you're bringing your own background um, to these things, too. So I, I just want to say again, what I said at the outset, thanks for, um, you know, being a journalist with regard to this game and, and helping us tell our stories. Most appreciated. Absolutely. Well, Darren, before we go, I'd like to thank you for taking the time for joining us on the One Soccer Nation podcast today. Thanks, Kareem.